My heart is full today. Isn't your heart full? It's been great to worship in God's house this morning. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open and follow along with us today as we're looking into God's Word together and thinking about um, who Jesus is. We've been in this series called Discovering the Real Jesus, and uh, today we want to look at a passage of Scripture that's found in Mark's Gospel, chapter number 11. It's an interesting story about a couple of things that, uh, 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 a couple of things that happen in Mark 11 that teach us some great spiritual truths. As you remember, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. It's the last week of his life, and he comes into Jerusalem riding on the foal of a donkey. From the Mount of Olives, which sits about 250 feet higher in elevation than Mount Moriah, where the temple complex is at. And below the Mount of Olives is a valley called the Kidron Valley. And in that valley is a garden called Gethsemane. And Jesus has made his way, riding, fulfilling prophecy, on this donkey and coming through the winding pathway down the mountaintop, the high hill, through the Kidron Valley, and making ascending on the way to the Temple Mount. And all along the way, the people are singing out, Hosanna, glory to him uh, who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're singing praises and waving palm branches and putting their garments on the pathway. And they're acknowledging him as you are our king. And Jesus comes in claiming that he indeed is Messiah and King. He rides in in authority. He looks around and sees the temple and all that is taking place. It's the week of Passover. There are throngs of people from all over the Mediterranean world who filled up Jerusalem with uh, uh, huge populations and, and people are in makeshift tents or shelters, and they're getting ready to celebrate one of the most high and holy days, which is Passover. As we look into this passage of Scripture, Jesus sees all that has happened and retreats, and then he goes back to Bethany, which is just a few uh, short miles away, two or three miles away, and he goes to Bethany, a small village where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. And then the next day, he comes with his disciples back into Jerusalem, and that's where the story picks up. So if you have your Bible, look with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter number 11, chapter 11, verse 12. And on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seen in a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found Nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying, 
It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, and it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you pray, stand praying, forgive. And if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who's in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, who's in heaven, forgive your trespasses. As we look at this passage of Scripture, it's an interesting story. Today, we're going to look at three things. First of all, I want us to notice that there's the cursing of the tree. Secondly, the cleansing of the temple. And the third, the calling to trust in God. These are the major things that we're going to look at in this passage of Scripture. This cursing of the fig tree has caused some to be critical of Jesus. Even scholars like William Barclay said, it doesn't seem worthy of Jesus, this act. It seems to have petulance in it. One other author said, and scholar and theologian, he said it's a tale of miraculous power wasted on, the, on a sense of ill temper. Another liberal scholar said, it's a gross injustice done on a tree that has done nothing wrong. But they've all misunderstood what this cursing of the fig tree is about. It's not that Jesus threw a little temperature tantrum because he didn't get the figs that he wanted. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is the fig tree represents the nation of Israel and Mark brilliantly has taken this episode and helped us understand it's directly related to what Jesus saw in the temple. And he saw the hypocrisy in the temple. He saw the, the worthless worship going on in the temple. And he saw the degrading of the temple and the fruitlessness in the temple. And the fig tree was hypocritical as well. And so he took a thing of nature and was teaching a great spiritual truth for all of us. It's an enacted out parable. And in this parable, first of all, you notice the search for fruit. Now look at the Bible, and uh, it says, <clears throat> he came to it hungrily. He was in search for, of fruit. And so he came, he sees the fig tree in a distance, 
And so Jesus goes over to the fig tree in order to get figs from the tree. And so it has, it has leaves. And so it says in verse number 12, he came from Bethany and he was hungry. And he saw in a distance a fig tree and leaf. Now, the way figs grow on fig trees, first of all, <clears throat> an immature fig begins to bud and come on the tree. Then the leaves come and surround that fig. And as the leaves mature and becomes full, then it's inside of those leaves is a maturing fig. And Jesus, even though Mark says it wasn't the full season of figs yet, this tree was prematurely mature because it was filled with leaves, signifying that there's fruit on these, in the, on these limbs. And so he comes hungrily, he comes searching, and he digs through the leaves, and what does he find? He finds no figs. And so there's this search. He's coming to look for, for fruit. He's hungry to see it. And then there's this disappointing find. No fruit. Leaves only. Only a show. No substance. Get the point? There's a lot of people that put on a religious show. But there's no substance in your life. And it's disappointing that the Savior comes to the temple complex and he sees all of the activity of Passover week, and he sees all the sacrifices, and all the lambs, and all the pigeons, and all the doves, and all the people. But he's looking for fruit, but it's missing. Something's desperately wrong. He's looking for faith. He's looking for mercy. He's looking for justice. He's looking for kindness, but no kindness. He's looking for love, but no love. It's empty of what our Savior was desiring to see. You ever tried to get something, and you expect to get something, and it didn't deliver what you were expecting? I've had multiple of those things happen. But just last week, I had this... I was at a meeting, I was in a motel, and I decided I wanted a snack. And so, you know, popcorn's no good without a Diet Coke to go with it. So I went to the vending machine to get a Diet Coke, and I put in my $2 for a vending machine Coke. And I punched the button. No Coke. And so I punched the button harder. No Diet Coke. I don't want Orange Crush. I don't want Mountain Dew. I want a Diet Coke. So I pushed the button harder. So I didn't abuse it, but I shook it a little. And then a light came on. And the light said, sold out. Why didn't the light come on before I put my money in there? So I had a moment 
attempted carnality, but I got over it. So I pushed the button that said, return your change. No. So I'm in my PE shorts and my T-shirt, and I thought, do I go down to the desk and argue for two bucks? And I thought, what would Christy do? I went back to my room and just sulked and ate my popcorn with water. We've all wanted something, but it wasn't delivered to us. Our Jesus is looking, what's he looking for in our lives? He looks for obedience in our lives. He's looking for repentance in our lives. He's looking for faith that's genuine in our lives. But so often it's empty show. And that was a hypocrite tree, a hypocrite vending machine. Charles Spurgeon said, the great majority of persons who have any religion at all, and, uh, and uh, he has, if you have any religion at all, you'd have, surely you have leaves. But just having religion and leaves falls short of having fruit. It's a disappointment to a Savior who looks for life in you. And what he's looking for in us is, is the not works. He's looking for life. And he's looking for the life, I believe, of his Son, Jesus, in us. But the Father is so in love with the Son, and the Son is so in love with the Father, and the Father has so loved us, and the Son is so transforming us that the Son and the Father together and the Spirit are looking for the fruit of the Spirit in the life of a believer, which is the life of Jesus manifest in us. Amen. And that is what satisfies God. James said the whole of the law is fulfilled in one word. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Paul said the deeds of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, divisions, jealousies, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control against such things there is no law. And this is what God looks for. He wants to see his son's life in you. Thirdly, in this story, there's this demonstration, I think, of real patience. A similar parable is found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, beginning with verse 6. It's a story about a man who had a fig tree and it was planted in a vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it but found none. And he says to the vineyard dresser, he says, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and for three years I've found none. Cut it down. Why does it take nourishment from the ground? And the vine dresser says, sir, let it alone one more year. And let me dig about it, King James says, and dung it. You know what that means, don't you? 
and put some manure around it, fertilize it, and see if it won't bear fruit next year. But if not, we'll cut it down. God is patient toward you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God has shown great mercy toward Israel. This was not Jesus' first visit to Jerusalem. Three years earlier, he had come. Three years earlier, he had cleansed the temple. Three years earlier, he called them to faith. And now three years later, there's still no fruit. Judgment is coming. It's a righteous judgment. That's the next point. It's done, he's looking for fruit, has every right for fruit, because he's done everything that it would bear fruit. He loved that tree. He loved that vineyard. He planted that tree. He planted that vineyard. He nurtured it. He blessed it. He confronted it. He pruned it. He provided all of his grace and mercy and kindness. Yet, they put on a show and pretended. You say, man, the nation of Israel just didn't get it. This kind of pretending also happens among Christians. Where we're pretenders, attenders, servers or workers respected by others, but down deep we're liars. Liars to ourselves, liars to one another, and liars to God. Liars to the Holy Spirit. And God takes it seriously when we lie to him all you have to do is look in the book of Acts, and this story is held for our instruction of a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. And they saw Barnabas give a great gift, the son of Mr. Encouragement to the church, sold a piece of land and property, and all the church was blessed. And they saw that people liked that and were blessed by that. So they sold a piece of property, and they pretended to give it all to the church for the glory of God but instead they held it back for their own profit and their own self-service, and they lied to God, lied to the Spirit. And Ananias showed up in Sapphira, and they had lied to God, and guess what happened? They fell dead, and the youth ministry carried them out and buried them, one after another. It became clear from Peter's word You've not just lied to men, you've lied to God. And he takes it seriously. It's not petulance, it's not vindictive, but it's righteous judgment. And Jesus said, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but he that does the will of him who sent me. Amen? Pastor, can we move to another point in the sermon? Well, you won't like this one as well either, but it's the cleansing of the temple. So they move from that incident. Jesus curses the tree, and all the disciples take note of that, and they walk into the temple complex. And there, when he walks into the temple complex, he sees that they've 
re, they're doing the same old things that they've done before. And he's indignant by it, and he takes up arms against it. Notice in verse number 15, do you have your Bible? And he came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple. Now, in the center of the Jerusalem city is a large temple complex. It's at the heart of the city, surrounded by walls. And they came to the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He, he took rope and straps and he wove it into a cord, a whip, if you will. And he drove out those who were buying and selling in the temple, and he flipped over their tables of money changers and those who were selling pigeons. These were people who were profiteering. He condemns profiteering, profiting in the temple. It's Passover week. The population of Jerusalem has swollen to ten times that which it normally is. People came from all over Judea, Galilee, Egypt, Ethiopia, Syria, Roman provinces. And the temple complex consisted of the outer court, which was huge. It was called the court of the Gentiles. Inside that, think of a large box, all right, a large rectangle. This is the temple complex. And so there's the outside of it is the court of the Gentiles. It's where Gentiles could come to worship and pray to God. Then there's the court of the women, which was closer to the Holy of Holies. It's where women, Jewish women, could come. And then there was the court of the Israelites, and this is where the men would gather, and, and they could worship closer. And then there's the court of the priests, and only the priests work in this veiled area uh, uh, in the temple. And then there's the holy of holies, that only the high priest could enter once a year. And so it was a holy place on a holy mountain where God was to meet with his people. And in this court of the Gentiles is where they set up their wares. They were selling doves and pigeons and, 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 and lambs and things for the sacrifices. And then they had money exchange. And so it's a currency exchange that they set up there. And so you bring your Roman coins, your Greek coins, your uh, Egyptian currency, and then we'll do a currency exchange because you've got to use our Jewish temple currency here to pay your tithe and buy animals. And there was an exorbitant currency exchange rate that was taking place. And it, it was just secular transaction. And then they were selling of lambs. These lambs have been approved as in good enough uh, shape. And these pigeons they will be acceptable as a sacrifice. We're not talking about a small venture here. Josephus says in one Passover week, 255,000 lambs were slaughtered. And so here's, this, here's the gig they had going. The priests owned certain fields, and those fields raised certain animals. And then those animals were sold to, a cert, to certain vendors. And then those vendors said, you can buy them from us, they're approved as, because it couldn't be without spot or blemish, right? And these have been pre-approved that you can, but they cost five times more than a normal animal. 
And so you could bring your own animal, but you might risk that they find some defect or spot in your animal and it not be approved. But these have been pre-approved by the priest. And they're selling them to you at an extra price. And there's a kickback going to the priest. And guess who judges whether they're acceptable or not? The priest. Well, that's a pretty much closed game, isn't it? And Jesus said, My house is supposed to be a house of prayer. And you've made it a hideout for thieves to steal. You don't have to surf much TV to find scam artists that use religion to get wealthy. It's about self-serving, not loving God, not living for God, profiting, approved concessions, currency exchange, a refuge for thieves. The second thing he criticizes and stops is the profaning of the temple. In verse number 16, not only profiting in it, but profaning of it. We often will just skip over this verse, but I think it's important for us to drill down there for a second. And it says he would not let, verse number 16, allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Since the temple sits in the middle of the city, getting from one side of Jerusalem to the other, and it's still that way today when you go, that the shortcut would be to cut right through the court of the Gentiles from one side to the, of the city to the others. And so people would just use it as a shortcut. They'd just walk right through, and they're carrying their wares, carrying their building supplies, carrying their grocery store stuff. They're just carrying, they're just walking back and forth. They've lost all reverence for the temple. It's nothing but a shortcut. In the rabbinical literature, in Barakot number 9, it says, what reverence is due the temple? This is what the rabbi said. That no one go into the mountain of the house with his staff and shoes or purse or dust on his feet and let no one make a crossing through it or degrade it into a place of spitting. It means don't treat it profanely. Don't treat it like it's a common marketplace. Treat it special as it is. It's the house of God. Folks, when you gathered here today, this morning, I hope that you didn't come in just a profane manner without realizing we have gathered to worship a holy God in a holy place among God's people. The purpose is my house, we call it a house of prayer. He reminds us the purpose of the temple is that my house will be a house of prayer for all the nations. It's my house, not yours, it's mine. My house will be called a house of prayer. Isaiah chapter 56, beginning with verse 3, says, No foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, The Lord will exclude me from my people. And the foreigners, the eunuchs, who join themselves to the Lord, minister to him, 
Love the name of the Lord Yahweh and become his servants. And all who keep his temple without desecrating it and who, who hold fr uh, firmly to my covenant, I will bring to my holy mountain. And let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. It was a popular belief among Jews that the Messiah would come and purge the temple of Gentiles. But Jesus purged the temple for Gentiles. And folks, looking around that room, we ought to say, praise God. Amen. You see, he has brought us into his presence. Jesus Christ came for all of us. Jesus himself is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Shekinah glory of God had long, long before departed from the temple complex. And that's why John said, the word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's why Jesus said, you destroy this temple, and three days, it raises again. Jesus is the very presence of God living in him. And we who come to Christ by faith are being built into a holy priesthood and a holy temple. And we're God's chosen people. And the Spirit of God dwells in us. Ye are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you apply this teaching to your life. Am I using my religion? Am I for selfishness? My needs, my profit? Am I praying for my comfort? Are you using God as your divine vending machine? Am I trampling on holy ground, mindlessly carrying out my daily activity with no mind for God? Just secular thoughts. You all know Benny and Graziella Andrew. They've been in our church and preached here. They're our mission pastor we support in Romania. And when I go to Romania, I usually spend two or three days in their home. And they have a room upstairs. They say it's Pastor Tim's room. She, they leave some of my clothes there and they care for they welcome me. But she has a rule at her house. When you walk out of the outside, you take your shoes off before you walk inside. They have house shoes or slippers or socks you could put on. And she's, and, but I got a pastor friend of mine that he just ignores all that and storms in with the shoes on. And it drives Graziella nuts. She doesn't say anything until he leaves. And I can't pick it up exactly because I don't speak Romanian. But her husband picks it up. And he told me, he said, I, I asked him about it one day, and he, she said, well, the streets in Romania are not pristine like America. And she said, so we take our shoes off because why would I bring the dirt and filth of Romania into my clean house? 
God came. Don't just use my temple as a thoroughfare. This is a holy ground. Amen? Amen. For all the nations, a place of prayer for all the nations. I'm out of time. Let me go to the last point. A call to trust in God. First of all, they noticed as they left the temple complex, they went back to Bethany. The next morning, they were headed back to the temple. And here's that fig tree dried up, withered away from its roots. And they all noticed it. And so they questioned him about it and said, Lord, look, the fig tree is withered from the roots. And Peter remembered. He said, look, it's withered. And Jesus said, have faith in God. He said, Peter, let me tell you the lesson of this tree. Put your faith in God. Because that's where life's at. Trusting God. Loving God. Living for God. Praying to God. Not in religion. Not in ethnicity. Not in culture. Not in works. Not in activity. Not in all your teaching or knowledge. But faith in God alone. That shows itself in prayer toward God. You're devoted in your prayer life to God. He says, if you say to this mountain, pointing to the Mount of Olives, be cast into the sea, the Dead Sea. That's 4,000 foot drop. He says, can you imagine that picture? Say to this mountain, be cast into the sea. He says, you believe it, it'll be done. And whatever you pray, believe him, it will be done for you. Believe when you pray. Those are miraculous things. You say, what is the point with that? He's saying, listen, God is a mountain mover. God is a, a, a life changer. God, there's nothing too difficult with him. You believe in him. Those same disciples saw it in Jesus. They saw it. They were sent out and they came back saying, even the demons were subject to us in your name. They walked on the water and saw it happen. They saw the miracles of God and God took a handful of fishermen, tax gatherers and workers and he turned the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, God's given us a great mission, but we need to believe in a great God and pray to him in faith. Not be a double-minded man that's unstable in all our ways, but believe the Lord. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're going through hard things in your life. Relationship stuff that's hard. Forgiveness issues that you're wrestling with in your life. How many here are going through some struggle in your life? You know, be honest. Pain of the past. Pain in the present. Fears and anxieties. But I'm telling you, you've got a great big God and you trust him and he loves you. You pray to him. You've got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He'll do for you what no other power can do. Amen. Isn't that good? John and I are having a fit right here together. <laughs> then demonstrate your faith. This is how you demonstrate your real faith in God. You'll forgive your brothers. You forgive each other. 
Forgiveness demonstrates your trust in God. Forgiveness displays your relationship with God. When you forgive, it lets everyone know he's forgiven you so you can forgive them. That's real faith. Three things God's looking for. You can write them down. They're not in the notes if you want. Number one, he looks for authentic relationship. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. You won't bear fruit if you're not abiding in Jesus. Amen. He wants authentic relationship. Number two, authentic worship. Not selfish focus, but a focus in prayer and connecting to God. And number three, authentic faith, that you trust in a real God in a real world, trusting in him alone. Have you put your trust in Jesus? Are you trusting him? Father in heaven, I pray that we would trust in Jesus with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. In Jesus' name.